0: Hello everyone and welcome to The Wealth Tech Show. This is a Citywire podcast devoted to exploring how technology will change investing and personal finance. Today we're looking at paytech which refers to pretty much any payment that involves technology. More specifically we're going to look at wearable payments which involves items of clothing being chipped to allow you to pay for things. So you could use a bracelet for instance instead of a debit or credit card. Now I'm in brilliant company for this one as I'm joined by Terry Smith, co-founder of and global ambassador for wearable payment enabler DigiSec. If you're listening to this, there's a very good chance that Terry's work has had an impact on your life. As Among her many achievements, she was a driving force in creating and developing the MasterCard Digital Enable System, or MDes, which is used to support Apple Pay. So Terry, thank you for joining me and welcome to The Wealth Tech Show. How are you getting on today?
1: Uh, my pleasure, and it's good to be invited. Uh, hot day today, but, Do
0: you know what but everyone could- said that. I think we've got four or five episodes in a row where people have commented on how hot, how it, hot is. it is. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll look
1: back on these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. So if you're listening to this in January, then uh, yeah, it was roasting. Um, Anyway, we've got loads to talk about, Uh, but firstly, if you could tell us a bit more about yourself and and, and DigiSec, you know, what what was your roots into wearable payments?
1: Um, My root really was, as you explained in the beginning, I was the driving force behind the um, digital enablement service that we developed at MasterCard. My role there really was just get mobile payments working. And we'd been playing with, you know, sort of various options and looking at various ways of doing it. Um, I spent quite a lot of time at the drawing board and trying to come up with how we could best achieve this. Um, And once it was on its way to being moved into a live environment, my concept really was beyond payments. Now, obviously, MasterCard is a payments Mm -hmm. uh, environment. So I wanted to look beyond just payments. I think payments is key to everybody's Mm -hmm. life. Um, but when you look at the, I don't know, 41 billion pieces of IoT that are out in the world, some may need identity, some may need security of a different sort, some do need payments on them, um, some might need um, access control. And so when I looked at what we were going to do and why I wanted to do it, it was really to create this environment that made it easier, um, mm-hmm. easier for that to happen Um, because there is so much complexity in the world, and people don't need to know the complexity. They Mm. just wanted to be able to use it. Um, It's a bit like, you know, you use your credit card today. You haven't a clue what happens behind the scenes. So what I wanted to do was really take all of the mystery out um, and just make it easy for consumers to use. And so the birth of DigiSec was there.
0: Brilliant. And you know what, you say people don't need to know really what's going on, which is so true, isn't it? But it's also so easy to drop terminology into these conversations that people might not follow. And if you're on the tech side of things in IoT, you know, the internet of things will not be confusing to you. But can you quickly describe the internet of things for people who, you know, we have financial advisors and wealth managers listening to this who may, may be a bit less familiar with what that really means?
1: um well to to us in our world and 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 it may be something slightly different to other people but but to me in my world it's um an item that carries a um a technology that can be connected to another item using either the same similar or even a different technology um, but when when you're talking about wearables a lot of people don't see them as iot because they're not always 100% connected, Um, but they are part of the IoT world because they have the capability to connect. So um, it's, I don't know, your TV is an IoT thing. It connects. It has technology inside of it. Um, Your Skybox, for example, just absolutely anything that has that technology to do something and connect to something.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And, and I guess people listening are probably thinking, why are we looking at pay tech? Why are we looking at wearables? Uh, when again, this is it's, we aim a lot of this content at, at wealth managers and financial advisors and asset managers to some extent. For me, the real intrigue here, and when I first spoke to you, the reason I wanted to get you on the podcast was, I think payment technology really does influence our relationship with money and our personal finance. So from a you know financial advice perspective in particular, I feel like if we see developments in wearable payments, it, it will possibly influence people's spending patterns. Is that something yeah, that you, you think I, is generally I think, true?
1: I think that is generally true. I mean, I only have myself to go by to start with Um and I wear a wearable that has payment on it. And I wear it every single day that I go out. And it means I don't take a purse anymore. Hmm. I, If I'm not going out for very long, I don't even take my phone. Um, and my payment is always a contactless payment. Um, if somebody says to me I don't accept contactless for less than five pounds, I walk out. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that because I can't my life is all around being able to make those contactless payments and I think a lot of people now are moving more and more into using items to make payments and I think as a result the shift away from cash is there. Um, I know that we're, we're talking a lot in the in the press at the moment about cash being, needed for, you know, um, the situation that we're in with, the you know, people can't afford to have credit. They can't afford to run bank accounts, maybe. Um, but I think there's a really, really good opportunity for fintech now to come up with ideas that help those people, but keep them in the technological environment and remove the need for cash as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, we we talk about prepaid was you know came in to make life easier for those who couldn't have credit, for example. I think there are ways of creating services around that, and attaching a wearable to it that just make it a lot easier for people to to do what they need to do on an everyday basis. Yeah,
0: so you know, it's the next step in convenience, really. Yes,
1: yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: And, and how big is this market? Because I was I was looking into it and I found all sorts of different research. And by this market, I mean wearable payments. I, I read somewhere that the market might be worth $80 billion by 2028. I read somewhere else, and this was a global figure. I read elsewhere that it might be worth $1.37 trillion by 2027. Now, I had no idea which of those to trust. <laughs> so how, how yeah. big do you think the opportunity is, really? It is a
1: very, very difficult question to answer. I, I agree. And when you look at the research, you say, "Well, what are you basing it on?" Um, I think that prior to the the last couple of years, there's not been the technology out there to actually enable it to grow. Um, when, when you think about the, the the wearables industry, it's really disparate. It's really distributed and um, spread. So what you wear isn't what I wear, Um, where you shop isn't where I shop, Um, the things you choose, even if it's in the same shop, are not the same things that I'd choose. So everything to everybody is very personal, and up until now, nobody's come up with the how to make it easy for a consumer, which is why we spent a huge amount of time and energy on looking at how we could put it into the hands of a consumer to make the decision and make it work. Um, And that, I think, is to us a bit of a game changer that can um, accelerate the growth. Now, it's difficult to know whether it's, you know, 80 million or whether it's 1.3 trillion. Um, But I think we're there to try and drive that. I, I think it's on the higher Um, side of things and i and i think it's a bit like you didn't know you needed email Mm -hmm. um, but can you live without it no you didn't (laughs) think you needed apple pay but you use it um and so i think things move um and it's very difficult to predict the movement but i wouldn't be in the business if i didn't think it was going to be big enough so you know we're, we're there expecting it to really grow somewhat yeah
0: Absolutely. I mean, these things are a bit of an evolution, aren't they, in people's attitudes? Yeah. And there's more to yeah. it than simply building the product and hoping that it yes. works, isn't there? Yeah. OK, so what's the most popular item of clothing or jewellery to get chipped? Because I know there's, you know, watches, wristbands, even jackets. You know, what, what do people go for here?
1: Well, funny enough, and it, and I think it's like a lot of technology, people go, go low cost to start with. Because A, they don't understand it. And B, they're not 100% sure that they trust it. Um, And so they go for their own self-education. So they're buying um, maybe something that's about 20 euros, which might be a key ring um, or something quite simple. And then from our systems, we can see that it goes from there and then they start buying more and different things. Um, And it's very much fashion. I mean, you can't predict what fashion is going to be and what people are going to want at any given time. Keyring seems to be the first, the starter point. Mm. Um, and then it goes into jewellery. Um, so that becomes um, more of a, a real fashion statement rather mm. than it being a convenience statement.
0: Yeah, I find it interesting key rings are, are, are popular because I suppose one of the key benefits of a wearable is that you don't have to reach into your pocket, whereas I would have to reach into my pocket for a key ring. Do you think it's an issue that people need to trust the technology first?
1: I do. I think very much so. I think people feel they need to trust the technology first and try before they really buy something, you know, big Mm -hmm. Um, or something very valuable. I remember when um, I was the very first person within um, the environment at MasterCard, releasing mobile payments. And we did a, a research on the people who were going to participate in a trial. And right at the top, research said their main issue was security. After they'd had the mobile payment, they'd used it, they'd been going, you know, for a couple of months, maybe a little bit more. The same research showed that security went down to number seven in their list. Mm -hmm. And that's all about education and and trust in, in what you're doing. And that's why it's really important to have like the big names behind it, such as Mastercard, Visa, Amex, mm. and those sorts of environments.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. And another question—I'll admit I'm—I'm kind of hoping for a slightly juvenile answer, which is, what's the craziest thing someone's had chips? Whoa.
1: Well, I think out there at the moment, um, the, the craziest is the embedded in your body, yeah, um, item. At the moment, it really isn't mainstream and nor is it commercially, you know, sort of viable. There are a lot of constraints around it, um, you know, like, can you trust that it's going to be done properly? Mm. Can it be approved in the right way? Um, but I think that to me at the moment is the the craziest. And I think coming one down from that, um, actually in clothing, um, yeah. and that's fun. Um, as much as crazy Um, because you're not getting anything out you're not changing any of your movement you're just literally using what you're wearing Um, and now development is there to start weaving this sort of technology into the fabric itself so it's becoming you know more and more Viable, um, yeah. Viable I, I, I assume
0: that forces us into wearing long sleeved tops. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think in Mexico they've actually put it into the badge of the of the shirt itself. Oh, okay. So when they're at football matches, mm-hmm. um, the you know the guy selling the peanuts goes around with his reader and taps your, your badge on yeah. your shirt, um, which is a brilliant idea. And you know, no expensive phone that can get stolen, and you know, you're always got your money on you.
0: interesting okay and have you noticed any trends in who's using wearable payments because i can imagine you know people adopting it will depend on their attitudes towards tech which are likely to depend on their age possibly their gender all sorts of things who's really using this
1: um a real cross-section um and a real variety um i think you'll find the fashionistas like it Mm -hmm. Um, because it does do away with having to carry things around with you. One of the um, environments, we had some really, really aged people using it because when they went to shop, they didn't have to dig into a pocket or a handbag and risk getting a card out to make payments, so they were using it on their wrist. So it suits everybody, but I think in answer to your question – it, it's quite a, a cross-section and it's uh, it's a mid-range. Um, I wouldn't say it's the youngster youngsters at the moment yeah. using it. Um, I would say it's 25, 25 up.
0: Yeah, yeah and I think it's a really interesting point you make about how it can help people who are elderly as well because when we talk about tech, there's always this assumption that older people will be slower to adopt adopt it or use it. And actually, it's possibly... You know, look at it a different way. Perhaps tech is built to appeal to younger people, whereas actually I can't see anything that's too confusing about using a wearable, right? So is it more the case that we just need to make things easy to use and then more older people will, will use tech? Yeah,
1: I think so. And I think it's also taking the mystery. As I said, you know, the whole point is remove the mystery, remove the complexity, um, build it and they will come yeah uh, I think is 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 that's the real it, yeah. term. um, and so that's that's what we've you know strived for for the past few years to really build um something that. Can be used by everybody for everybody. And I'm not saying that, you know, for example, you know, my parents wouldn't necessarily have walked into a store and bought something off of the shelf and enabled it themselves. They would have probably bought it because they like it and given it to me to enable it, you know, um, and I would do that through my own mobile for them.
0: and let's shift on to the, uh, the feature of the article we put together recently, which was all about the, the demise of the credit and debit card, which is obviously, I think that's quite a striking headline. I was quite glad when we were discussing that. I could already, already see that being quite impactful. Um, but you, were, you were saying that you think that there's a very good chance that credit and debit cards will you know, go the way of the dodo. So please explain that. How, how might that come to be?
1: Um, I, I seriously think that with the advent of mobile payments... People are <clears throat> more prone to use mobile payments for like their high-value goods because they've got it with them all the time, they're going to use it, and they can use it for high-value items. Mm-hmm. And that in itself will replace the need for the card. However, the card is essential for... You know that quick draw, yeah. um, the, the the quick release, and where the mobile runs out of power, for example. Now this is where wearables comes in. A wearable item has the same properties as your card, i.e., it's always on, um, it can be used at any time, anywhere, and effectively is that backup. But also will be used in in environments like, um, you know, you want to go to the, the pool, the beach, the, yeah. the club, the football, whatever, wherever you're going, that, you know, taking a £1,000 mobile phone is probably not appropriate. And so therefore, I think it's a combination, a combination between the mobile and a wearable between them um, will eliminate the need for a card. I mean, once you've got the wearable and a phone, what do you need a card for?
0: I mm-hmm. was and I was going to ask you about battery life on these things, and I've realised that I've never once charged my credit or debit card, and I assume the technology is <laughs> the same.
1: That's right. That's why I'm saying it behaves in the same way as your
0: yeah. card. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. And there's no need to be online offline in the same way. No, that, that works. No, no. Okay, interesting. um So, <clears throat> people do have concerns about wearable payments, don't they? As I'm sure you're more than familiar with, and security and privacy. I mean, you, you touched upon it earlier in saying that people become more familiar with the tech. But, uh, you know, I saw a, a 2019 study by Transaction Network Services, which is a few years old now, and it found that 44% of the 3,000 respondents who were based in the US, UK, and Australia were, were willing to make a payment using a wearable device. 65% uh, so security concerns would stop them using a wearable device for payments now okay so that's 44% willing 65% saying they had security concerns I was going to say what would you say in response to this but you've kind of already touched upon it yeah. but how, how do you speak to those people that don't want to trial it how do you kind of talk them around well
1: I, I sort of say to them well what do you do with your card um your card is far more vulnerable um you take it out to somewhere you drop it I mean I had a brilliant experience myself I was rushing up the escalator at Canary Wharf before I had a wearable I pulled out my card to actually get out of the exit it pinged out of my fingers went zhuzhing across the floor about 20 miles an hour and wedged itself under the barrier and that was it that was like how am I going to get out now because that was the card that I'd used to get in with Um, and so my point is which is the safest you know is it your card or is it the thing that's actually attached to you permanently Um, so from that perspective it's got to be you know your wearable is the safest and then I get all of these questions oh but can't somebody just you know do a transaction and well, it's not like that in the transactional world. In order to to do a transaction on your um, card or your wearable, it doesn't matter which, you have to have a proper registered terminal. It's all electronic. It has specific security built into it, and so just zapping past and taking a, you know, um, a, a, an imprint or a. Um, a, a scrap of data from your wearable does not enable you to make a payment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there is a there is a lot of myth around it. And I think there's a lot of education um, that needs to go on. Um, but I, I think that's very much down to partly the banks, partly the schemes, and partly companies like us who are advocating wearables. I think it's a joint effort
0: hmm And what happens when people lose a wearable? Because some of these things, I mean, you're not going to necessarily lose a shirt that you're wearing, but you might lose a ring or a bracelet. It might fall off or something like that. What what happens in those situations?
1: Uh, exactly the same as what would happen if you dropped your credit or debit card or you left it on the, on the table in the pub. Um, you basically would either call up your um, supplier or you can go on your mobile app and turn it off. Um, or you know you you can through whatever mechanism mm. they provide you you can actually freeze it um and really i think what we'd say about wearables is more um you're less likely to to lose it because it is generally attached to you and you don't give it to somebody to make a payment with like you do with a card quite a lot of the time
0: mm-hmm. so yeah. Uh, yeah i mean you clearly believe that this will be the future of payment and you know the thing you you've clearly asked these questions a lot of times but what what's what's your biggest concern what for you do you think is the biggest obstacle for wearable payments becoming completely commonplace
1: um <clears throat> i think the biggest obstacle and i think we've just overcome it is really timing um People, when they buy things today, do not want to send them somewhere to get payment put onto them. They don't want to wait 10 days. They don't want to contact their bank. They don't want to do something. They just want it enabled. Um, And that's why we came out with the ability to do mobile personalization so that you literally go in, take it off the shelf, Use your mobile, download your payment. Mm. It's exactly the same as you would do with Apple Pay. And that's a first. And I think it's because of that, I think that, you know, um, it does remove the barrier effectively to to being able to use a wearable. Up to now, to use a wearable, you've had to order it online, register online, Mm -hmm. get it provisioned with your data in a different location, and then it's sent to you. Now, that might be, you know, only a 24-hour process, but it is a gap. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think people are more prone to seeing is believing, is liking and buying. And if they can see these things hanging on shelves in the supermarket, like all of us, you go, oh, what's that? You know, oh, I think I'll try that one. Um, and then the, the trend grows.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get away from payment for a second, because DigiSec, I know, isn't just about payments, is it? And, uh, you know, one thing that that stood out to me when I was looking on your your website was how you're using the technology for digital verification. And I I hadn't realized when I first met you, but the technology has been used to to guarantee the provenance of the Golden Globe Awards. So if someone sees a Golden Globe, they know it's the real one because you've Basically, chipped it. Can you can you talk us through that?
1: Yeah, sure. So, what was happening is that um, the Golden Globes were appearing on eBay, mm-hmm. um, and people were spending a fortune on buying a Golden Globe that they believed was won by a particular person. And it's not the globe itself that you know has the intrinsic value; it's it's the ownership of it. So, so they reached out to us and said, "Look, you know." is there something you can do to, to help? And we went, yeah, this is what we can do. So we worked with them to embed a chip um, that's in the base of, the, of the, the, the globe. However, if you try and take it apart, it completely destroys the chip. Um, and then we didn't know on the night who was going to, to win the, the prize. So we were kept very much in the dark. So everything we did had to be 100% dynamic, So on the night, who it was awarded to would then go backstage. They would have it engraved. They would have it polished. And then the very last thing, they would then put it on to our reader. And our reader would squirt in the right data for that person, for that event, for that purpose. And once it's in there, it's it's immutable. It, It cannot change. It does not change. And that meant that when you took it away and you tap it on your mobile phone, it told you, this is Meryl Streep's token. Oh wow! This is Jeff Bridges. <laughs> yeah. um, and so that then became the situation where nobody can claim that they have Meryl Streep's um, Golden Globe from that particular year.
0: Brilliant. And when we talked about digital identity and, and verification, at the uh, the FinTech Week London event, you you were saying that that is for you at least the the main takeaway from the whole event that there is these big advancements going on in, in digital verification. So so what opportunities are there beyond beyond the Golden Globes, which is a great example.
1: Um- Everything that moves, um, <laughs> to, to, to put it, you know, yeah. in a nutshell, really. But um, I don't know. There, there is so many areas where um, fake goods um, and items are being sold on, and in some cases, I mean, if you look at the um, the the medical drugs um, market, the drugs are being produced and they're being substituted at some point before they reach. The pharmacist. The pharmacist distributes what he thinks is a real drug. Patient dies. Now, that is because he's either not getting the drug that he needs or he's getting a drug that, you know, is is poisonous. Mm -hmm. If you could imagine every single pill pack having the ability to be identified 100% as being that was made on that day with those ingredients in that environment. And then it arrives at the pharmacist and he can say, I can, because I've read it, believe that it was made on that day by that person in that, you know, environment. I therefore trust it. Just imagine the mm-hmm. the, the improvement that you would make um, across the world. Um, and so it's drugs, it's wine, it's fine art, it's the second-hand market, pretty much everything and anything, mm-hmm. if it carries the right level of security around it, can be guaranteed to have the provenance that it said it was made with.
0: This sounds very similar to the conversations I've been hearing around NFTs. Mm-hmm. Um, does it, you know, how does it vary from NFTs?
1: Well, NFTs are obviously digital. Mm-hmm. So what we are in is in the physical world. So our whole um, purpose is to connect physical to digital. Mm -hmm. So you can create the digital NFT out of the physical um, item itself. And by connecting the two in a very clever way, um, then you can guarantee that that NFT does and will relate to that particular Mm -hmm. physical item. So it's connecting um, the physical to digital.
0: Yeah. So is this one of the kind of actual use cases for blockchain?
1: I believe so, because I think that, you know, if if we put something that physically proves something, um, and some very clever little person comes along and, you know, can actually manipulate what 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 we've put into the item, um, what the blockchain will do is we'll help with um logistics and, and contractual um pieces to prove where it's gone from mm. A to B to C. Um, And the point at which it last was. So when somebody tries to create a fake or take the chip out of the item that you've created, then the blockchain doesn't match. And Mm -hmm. at that point you go, hmm, that is, you know, 99.9% probability of being a a fake. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is where I think... The combination of the, the physical security, the NFT and the blockchain all comes into being one really heavy-dude environment that will prevent a lot of the issues that there are at the moment with fake goods and um, poor poor management.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and one last question. Um, I'm a big football fan. I don't talk about it often on the podcast, actually, because I imagine once you do that, you, you probably – Boring. A lot of people who don't really care for football, <laughs> but I'm aware. what the
1: wealthy people don't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> surely, surely it's rugby for these people. I don't, I don't know. Uh, and anyway, um, when I yeah, when I was talking to you before, uh, you mentioned a, a partnership with Real Betis, the yes. Spanish football club. Can you, can you talk me through what, what DigiSex has been doing doing with them?
1: Yeah, so we've partnered with um, a company called Much Better, who are sp- sponsoring Rail Batisse. And it was very important to them to be seen pretty much 100% of the time. So they produced um, key fobs initially, um, key fobs that have the Rail Batisse branding on. Yeah. Really, really important. I mean, if you're a fan, Anything with the branding is important to you. And what we did is we worked with Much Better to put their payment onto that particular device and alongside the season ticket. And so the season ticket and the payment coexist on this same um, device, this same key fob. So people can go into the um, stadium, they can buy within the stadium. Um, and in the app, they can actually see what seat they are in the stadium. So it's all beautifully, you know, positioned for the consumer to to do that. And then what's coming up is at the end of the day, if they tap that wearable either on their phone or on a podium where there is a, um, a an Android service, they can tap it, and that will actually enable them to um, vote for man of the match. Mm-hmm. So we, it, it's very clever because it prevents you voting more than once because yeah. of the security that we've embedded into it. And, and so at the end of the day, rather than having just the, you know, the pundits voting for Man of the Match, you can allow your whole crowd to vote. And then whoever gets you know, Man of the Match winner, he can draw out to have maybe their signed shirt, something like that. So it's a real a consumer engagement yeah. As much as anything. And it brings the whole brand uh, to the fore of the of the, the consumer. The brand, the payment, the access, the everything is sitting there um within the hand of the consumer. Um good fun.
0: Amazing. All right, well look, Terry Great to talk to you. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's also, you know, really great to speak to someone who's built the technology behind Apple Pay. That's such an incredible thing to have done. Uh, and, and brilliant to hear how, how you're still innovating, still looking to do things and change the way we we interact with our money and finances. Uh, do you have any parting words before I before I sign off?
1: Um, I, I think, you know, from a personal point, it's never give up. If you think it can be done, it can be done. Um, It it took me a good two years to come up with how we would build the digital enablement service in MasterCard and several setbacks, several knockbacks. Um, But if you seriously believe that it's worth doing and it can be done, just stick it out and do it. So from an entrepreneur's perspective, keep at it.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. That's a great, a great point to finish on. And thank you again for joining me. That was a, a really interesting look at the future of wearable payments. And as always, thank you to everyone listening. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Wealth Tech Show. I'm Ian Horn, and I'll be back again next week with another episode. Goodbye for now.